The following is a Poppy Chulo Radio original program. Let's go. Get up close and personal with some of your favorite male porn stars on One on One with Poppy Chulo. Created by Poppy Chulo, one-on-one showcases exclusive interviews with the adult industry's most popular male performers. Here's your host, Poppy Chulo. Welcome to One-on-One with Poppy Chulo. Today is Saturday, June 3rd, 2023. Listeners, please welcome back one of the hardest working men in the adult industry, fan favorite, multiple award-nominated and award-winning adult industry veteran performer, including the 2021 and 2022 winner for Male Performer of the Year at the XRCO Awards, Isaiah Maxwell. Welcome back, man. Hey, man. It's been a while. Thank you for having me back. Nope. (laughs) You got a lot more to say this time since the last time we spoke. Right. I remember when I interviewed you, and it was Rising Adult Star, which is crazy, man. It has been a moment since we've done an interview. I've got stats. So our most recent interview was back in March of 2018. So recent as in, it's been a moment. And Uh our very first interview was in May of 2013 on the now-defunct The Poppy Chulo Show. And that's when you were, like, fresh as being a male performer. You had gone from being a publicist to a performer, and you were a star on the rise, and good grief, man. Your star rose so damn fucking high. Major props to you, man. Major, major props. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, this industry has been treating me well, so I really have no complaints here. (laughs) It really has, man. And I've got to say, like, there are a handful of performers that I interviewed very fresh in the game and where I knew, like, in the back of my mind, I knew something big was going to happen to them. So I'm incredibly proud of you, man. I'm so glad that you've done so well. You are, like I was telling you right before we, uh, we we hit the record button, or I should say I hit the record button, and as I was doing my research, like all of these damn award nominations that I saw, it was a huge list, man. Good well, grief. Well, yeah, man, I just, um, my, my method is always has been, or at least just keep working and everything would come along with it. So, yeah, man, I just been at it a while since 2013 that was probably within 20 scenes of me filming and um yeah i shot well over 2000 since then good grief congratulations 10 years in the game is an amazing milestone and to still be getting the work and to still be getting the love from the fans is incredible we're going to be getting into all of that and more in just a moment. So let's let's officially kick this interview off. And I typically like to start these interviews off with some unique stats. So let's check these stats off. What's your height okay. and weight? My height and weight. I am six foot and I'm around one eighty five. What's your ethnic background? African American. I'm all West African. What's your zodiac sign? 
Aries. Although, disclaimer, people say I don't act like one. Oh, okay. That's good to know. And how old are you? <laughs> um, 34 now. All Started right. when I was 22. Yes. All right. So, as I mentioned, 10 years in the game. Right? That's the official number, right? 10 years? 10 years as a... Performer. Performer coming up? Ish. Yeah, I'm around 10 years as a performer. I've been in the business for 12 years. Correct. But initially as a publicist. Yeah, publicist. And I was an agent. Agent. And then I was a performer. Yes. All right. I love it. Love it. Love it. Okay. So, as I mentioned, and as we discussed, it has been a moment since we did an interview. It was way back in 2018. It's been five years, just a hair over five years since we last mm-hmm. did an interview. So I guess the first thing that I want to ask you is uh, how have you seen the industry change since the last time that we spoke? Now, clearly, you were in the industry for a moment um, in the, not the BTS, like behind the scenes type of situation, but you were like working, you know, as, you know, an individual in the industry, as a publicist, as an agent, and then you got right. into it as a performer. So you have an interesting sort of, in my opinion, right. like you have an interesting um, uh, opinion, or you could have an, what am I trying to say? You have an interesting, you can have an interesting take, you have an interesting perspective, yeah. yes on the business as a whole because the industry has changed a lot and I would say in particular there was a huge almost like a seismic change because the pandemic happened because of COVID. Yeah. Yeah. Um I mean yeah, since COVID um there's been at least a million to two million people that instantly joined the OnlyFans side of the business. And that gave an influx of performers that wanted to kind of cross over and kind of boost their platform. But, um, but yeah, with the OnlyFans and ManyViz and all the other platforms that let um, us sell our content directly to consumers, it kind of helped just the longevity of performers that when I first got in, it was the kind of the start of the tube um, epidemic and then like the tube sites kind of collapsed the dvd and the website world at the beginning of the 20, 2009 recession and so everybody was trying to figure themselves out at that time and like you know everybody was just in and out of the business and the turnover ratio of female and male performers that you would see come in will be around three to six months and then there'll be a whole new class today because of the platforms and everybody's able to like film their own work performers are just lasting a lot longer. Like I'm seeing my friends just around for five, six years compared to five to six months. And a lot of performers that normally just wouldn't be around around in their mid twenties because they kind of get lost in the category of if they're a teen or male, they're able to hold themselves over and create the fan base to build their name up so that they can command whatever they want from a studio whenever they want to shoot them. And that go that that pretty much goes the same for everybody. I, I think in today's industry, there's a lot more money involved in it, and performers are getting paid a lot more, a lot quicker, and their rates are jumping up way higher than what it was when I had to start. And you kind of like had to like start at the bottom, but it doubles fast. It just everybody's kind of like, if you're good, then they'll pay you to go. 
We're going to jump in with maybe a controversial question. I'm not sure if it's controversial, but I know that people have used this term as an insult to some of the newer performers. What's your take on the term, or the terms, porn star and content creator? Can a content creator be a porn star? Should content creators call themselves porn stars? Do you think, yeah, what's your take on the whole porn star versus content creator because I have seen established performers sort of use the term content creator in a, in a very dismissive way almost as like a, a pejorative to newer emerging performers that are just creating their own content is there well uh, there is a difference between porn star and content creator yeah. but do you think the term content creator is a pejorative term for the sort of newer class of uh, performers that are creating their own content via the various platforms that are out there? And can a content creator become a porn star, per se? It's all semantics, um, but you know what I'm saying. Right. Yeah, I think whenever there's a new category that comes out of performers, you know, like cam models, strippers, um, porn stars, content creators, there's always like a cast system created up who's on top, whatever. But I think content creators and porn stars are all kind of on the same playing field. Um, the difference being is that, you know, if you shoot in anything with your phone or with your camera or anything like that, you're and you're naked and you're selling it, then you're a content creator. Um, porn stars pretty much understand that Scenes from studios is not the only way of making money, and that that's if that's your only purse, you're going to be starved out kind of fairly quickly. So you have content just to kind of hold you over. But when it comes to content creators wanting to come over to the porn side, it don't necessarily have to be that. Uh, it's just that um, with content creators, it's, it's kind of like if I had to put it in like sports language or anything, it's kind of like a transfer portal in that. Um, People use it as a recruitment tool and stuff like that. And content creators also use the porn side, the mainstream side, as a tool to boost their platform. So with the content creators being on their side of the business, um, they get to look at the industry side and see what companies would truly fit their style and mode because content creators just don't work with every porn company. And um, it allows them to choose which companies they want to go down. And if not, then they can stick to their side. Uh, when when I see porn stars try to do that from like sticking on the mainstream side and um, only doing that and like not doing the content creator side, then I see themselves starve out a little bit faster. I appreciate the breakdown, man. Yes. Okay. So we've been talking about how the industry has changed in the five years since we last spoke. How have you changed since we last did an interview way back in 2018? Um, I guess you could say I've, I'm like third a bit. I I just, you know, as you get older, you know, your patience kind of go a little bit south and you kind of just, you, you kind of see the signs of everything that you used to go through when you was younger um, a little bit faster. So you're able to avoid certain situations easier. But, um, yeah, I think it's just a bit of maturity on my part of, like, knowing when to go out, when not to go out, knowing um, how much energy I need to put towards this 
project versus um, versus staying at home and uh, regaining, like just kind of recollecting myself and like resting and everything like that. And um, you just kind of, at the moment, I just go in through ways of just figuring out how to sharpen like little bits of myself just to like move a little bit faster without expending so much energy to do it. You know, I used to be up all night trying to figure out where the spot is instead of just <laughs> texting the person that knows where the spot is and just going there directly. It's kind of like just kind of like that kind of simple mentality. You've been in the game for a decade now, and you are, in my opinion, one of the top men in the industry, period. You're always getting consistent work. What do you attribute your longevity to in this business? There are some performers out there that, that I'm sure wish could get to be in this business for a decade. What do you attribute your longevity to? Um, I would have to say my longevity is just from consistency. I, I show up and I'm always ready to work, you know, when it comes to any project that I'm on. I try to always give it my best. But um, personally, I think also that you know, your circle is a big part of, like, how you build yourself up and, like, how you grow. And so, like, I just have a really cool amount of friends in my circle that are, like, about working and about continuing to grow. So, like, I'm I'm friends with directors that I know is always going to be working because when I met them, they was working before I met them, and they're still working, like, as I continue, and they would probably be working if I was to stop. So I just kind of just noticed which directors and which performers were the one that was about the business side of the industry, and I kind of stuck with them. And something that works kind of like in tandem with longevity in the business is the fans and the fandom and the yeah. support that you get from your fans. Why do you think you clicked with your fans? Like, you've been in the game for 10 years. You have an incredibly strong fan base that loves adores you, that follows every single move that you make. Why do you think you clicked with them? Um, because I don't believe I've force-fed any of my fans any, like, disbelief from my end. Like, everything that I've shown my fans, I've shown them on my time, and they've been very patient with me and, like, learning little bits about me because, um, you know, I, I'm a... I'm not, I'm a private person kind of in my personal life in just terms of like, I like people to know certain things and don't need to know other things. But over the years, I just became more open and just been able to share a little bit more because I, I've known these fans for quite some time now. And after a while, once you become acquainted with someone for a minute, they start to feel like family. And so you start to open up and yeah, they, they starting to pull a lot out from me that 10 years ago. I wouldn't even share with just, like, anybody that was that close to me. So, yeah, I just kind of, as I grow, they grow with me. I love that, man. Yeah, very nice. Now, to continue on this sort of, you know, evolution of Isaiah Maxwell, a train that we're on right now, how has your style of fucking evolved over the time that you've been in the industry? How has your style of performance how have you as a performer in front of the camera how has that evolved hmm i would say in the beginning um my style was more so 
um, experimental, figuring it out, seeing what works, what don't work, learning the camera angles. Like in the beginning, there was a lot of you turned the wrong way or you're facing the wrong way or you I can't see anything from that side. And now, you know, I, it's kind of like it's driving. It's kind of come second nature to you and you kind of just muscle memory of like, okay, oh, we're moving this way. All right, then we got to move like this. And so I just kind of learned that over time. But also I just um, – I'm really into like – coaching in a way because most of the girls I shoot with now are are newer girls and um and so they usually shoot only one or two scenes in so they're not really porn stars yet and like you know you can't just throw them into the fire and (laughs) expect them to just um become like the best so I just learned how to be patient with who I'm working with and like let them open up and just enjoy the experience of someone new wanting to join the industry. And, and, you know, I'm one of the first people she's working with to do it. Can I just say once again, to give you props, props to you for being that performer to do that. There are certain performers out there, especially esteemed veterans that end up becoming newcomers first on film or maybe not first but you know within the first couple of scenes on right. film and and I've noticed that throughout my time interviewing performers in the industry there's always like this core group of male performers that end up becoming a lot of female talents first or almost right. first you know within the first few uh, scene partners that they have in the game and you are one of those individuals so that clearly there there is something about you that the directors see that they know they can trust you in being, you know, someone to provide, you know, a a comforting experience for someone that is doing this very early on into their sort of budding career. Absolutely. Yeah. You, you know, when someone makes the decision to, jump ship on this side of the business um you know that first couple of experiences that they have shooting could make or break that performer and so when they get a very positive experience um it's kind of like it's kind of like that chasing that age without without you doing the drug part of it so it's kind of like okay like this isn't so bad and like you know all my experiences don't have to be negative or like what they say about the industry isn't true and um and like, all right, I could continue doing it, and so your experiences will go up and down from there. But in general, you will expect a positive experience because, in general, we're pretty much professional industry. We are. I love that. Very nice. Let's talk about virtual reality in porn. Something that you have done over the course of your career in the business is VR porn. For those that are tuning in that you know may have seen clips of VR porn maybe actually they they've actually experienced VR porn can you talk about the intricacies and um the um for lack of a better word maybe even the hassle in which VR porn is filmed because i know a little bit about it because i've interviewed performers that have done it in the past and right. i know it it is um it, it's not a simple shoot. It, there's a lot of technical stuff that goes on. 
and uh, if the VR is all about, you know, getting it from the male performer's perspective, uh, you guys are wearing some interesting headgear for that. Yeah, sometimes, sometimes. Um, you know, VR companies, um, there's, there's several that shoot VR or, or directors that know how to shoot VR-style content. And I noticed that whenever I go to each one, that majority of the time they all have a different style of setup. Like some use this style of camera, some use this type of setup, some got this kind of microphone. Most are custom rigs so that it's there to make the performer more comfortable. Some have to deal with the with like the constructs of like how the equipment is set up, so it makes it a little bit more uncomfortable. But you kind of get used to the style or or like you know, in all those cases, the male talent is just supposed to be still, and the female or or the other side of the performer um, will be doing the majority of the work. You know, talking to the camera, um, interacting with the camera. So for me. You know, I look at VR style sets as kind of like my rest day because the entire time I'm there, I'm kind of just have to lay down and just kind of remain hard. I'm I'm not supposed to breathe loud. I can't move. I can't shake. Um, you know, some setups allow you to move your arms. Other setups prefer you just to lay still and don't do anything so that the other side of the um, VR headset guy or person can fully immerse and pretend that it's them. Um, but, yeah, for the performer that is actually doing the work, they they have to, um, for VR to be successful, you kind of have to hire a girl or a person with a personality. And, like, they kind of have to be a showsman. And, like, they kind of, like, have to know how to talk to the camera and, and kind of, like, keep everybody interested because... Yeah, when you try to hire someone quiet for the job, it, it starts to become a little awkward and, like, you know, kind of stales out a little bit and, and people don't know, if, like, if it, you know, if the girl's hot, the girl is hot, but if the girl is just uninteresting, then people will tune out and move on to the next. But, yeah, that's the VR experience from my end. Was that a difficult scene type to get used to or was it simple to just sort of, you know, as you said, you know, it's a day off. You just sit back, relax, let the camera do its thing, and and then that sort of thing. No, you, it was definitely something you have to get used to because um, because for me, um, the way I last long is breathing techniques, and so mm. like if I can't if I can't breathe a certain way, like because I got to be quiet or I got to like be mindful of my breathing, then it throws completely how I perform often like I gotta switch it up a little bit so you know I could use other techniques of like pinching myself or um or just getting used to it and just like or just tapping out and like saying cut like yo we need to reset and I'm like oh it's too sensitive right now but um in the beginning yeah you definitely have to get used to it but um but as you get experience you kind of you kind of get used to it and those days actually become more of the easier side for you if if that's like you know something you like doing, a lot of male performers don't like doing VR because they um, prefer to be more in control. Um, it, it's, it it is difficult just to be there with a hard dig, and she's going like extremely hard, and like you you can't stop 
the sensitivity from exceeding to the point where you want to pop. But yeah, it gets real sometimes with the VR. <laughs> I believe it, man. I believe it. Now, I went through sort of like, I, I journeyed through memory lane as I was prepping for this new interview with you. And something that I asked you five years ago ended up becoming a reality in the time that, that we haven't spoken, you know, officially here in an interview setting. And that is your official dildo. There is an official sex replica of your penis out there for the world to consume. Isaiah Maxwell can go home with you figuratively tonight, <laughs> listeners, as long as you order the dildo and, and you and whomever, you know, uh, with, with consent and all that kind of stuff, um, can have your way with uh, Isaiah Maxwell. So yeah. we got to talk about this. First of all, props, because we discussed Thank this you. and I was like, you need one. And you got it done. So let's break down for the listeners how it happened and what goes into the actual process, the actual creation of it. I want to talk about the molding and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I have a dildo with Doc Johnson, and like they're the largest distributor of sex toys in America. And... Um, and they approached me the year I won X-Biz Male Performer of the Year. I think that was the same year, 2018, I believe. Um, but I won, it, I won Male Performer of the Year, and as I was exiting the award show, they approached me and asked me if I wanted to do a dildo. And I said, yeah, I'd be interested. And so we came in and did a meeting, and they went over the specs of, like, you know, um, you know, if I want to stay, it's all good. And if I have any problems, I'm able to walk away. It's not an issue. And, um, and then they explained to me the generations that's been at their facilities and that, you know, like this woman daughter works there and now her kids works there. And like this family been here for such a long time. And it was a real cool atmosphere and just like, um, a nice little meeting. And so then the day that they had to mow me, you know, I met the lady that shapes your dick and, like, do the artwork of your vines, and she takes pictures and, like, try to make sure she gets as detailed as possible so that the replica looks like yours, like, looks adequate, I mean, like, accurate. And so they'll create the mixture of um, where to put your dick in so that they could get the accurate length. And, um, and so you got to get hard and everything like that, and then you stick it in, and it's just kind of like it's like them taking the impression of your teeth and stuff like that if they had like that type of gum stuff and putting it around your dick. And so then they'll take that off of you, and they'll fill it and make a brass mold, and that's like kind of like the real value of like your molds and stuff like that, like all the performers that create these molds for everybody. Like everybody has an official brass mold that is like, the mode that it's like the parent mode so if you're in the weed business you got the mother plant and then you take all of those plants and make clones and then you have those type of strains that's what's going on with the brass um dildo they'll take copies of that and then make all of the silicone and um all of the material that they use to make it dildo for you to buy it and um and then yeah you know they they kind of went over that and um it's been going out well and partnership been really well and it gives me 
product to sell and um and and yeah it's it's been real cool i've been with them for the last five years i believe congratulations man that is awesome major major props you know you've made it in the industry if you have an actual official dildo out there i'm just saying <laughs> yeah man I, I, yeah doc johnson's been cool yes yeah an idea for a scene i don't know if you've ever dp'd uh someone with with your dildo but that might be not interesting yet. not yet not yet yes how long do you actually have to remain hard and in the mold because I would assume it's not just you put it in and then, you know, you take it out. Right. And just poke it real fast. Now, I think it was around, I would say, 10 minutes and everything like that. And to be honest, it's really hard to stay hard like that because... Because um, um, you got to be rock hard. Yeah, you got to be rock hard. And I, I'm never just hard just standing up and just kind of just with my dick in something without moving. So... You can't really move in the mode, and so like you, you gotta just kind of keep your concentration up to stay hard, and um, and they'll fill in the cracks if you can't. But but yeah, it's just like it's about ten minutes, I would say ten to fifteen maybe. I felt like it was long enough for me to remember that it was long, but it was short enough for it to not be that long. Oh, okay, there you go. <laughs> Let's talk about the year 2022 for you, because that was a big year. You filmed a lot of content. You filmed over 400 scenes, which sounds insane to me, because that means, you know, if you do the math, I mean, that's over a scene a day. But clearly, you must have had some sort of break somewhere. So that means you might have been doing two to three scenes a day at a certain point, which is kind of nuts to me. Um, so... How did you survive that, number one? And number two, 2023 has been a year of uh, of kind of like just revitalizing, revamping, reorganizing yourself in the industry. So you go from a year that's incredibly heavy on work into a year almost of like rejuvenation of like trying to refocus and reorganize the Isaiah Maxwell brand. So let's talk about the dichotomy of these two years, 2022 and 2023. Um, so I think all of that stems from me reading a lot. <laughs> if it makes any sense, I'm, well, I'm going to try to make it make sense. Um, when I was younger, I used to always do, like, these little weird social experiments on myself after reading books and stuff like that. And so, I would, like, like a month, I'll, like, I'll take a month out of the year, and then I'll be like, you know, I'm not going to eat any processed food. And so, like, everything I had to do for a month was preparing myself. I couldn't go out to fast food. I couldn't buy an already-made sandwich. I had to make everything myself. And, you know, and, and that was a fun experiment, but it made me sad because I couldn't get my favorite food, so I didn't, I didn't really like it. And I would just go through how I felt through stuff like this and this and that. And I, I remember one month I was like, all right, let me wear the same outfit of blue jeans and a black T-shirt and see if anybody say anything about my clothes. And nobody said a word to me about my clothes, and it made me just kind of look at clothes completely different. But... For 2022, I told myself, I was like, okay, this year I plan on not taking no vacations. Um, I'm just going to work 
completely straight. Um, you know, I'm going to miss some important things here and there, but I'm just going to sacrifice a year of just completely indulging into my work and see how I feel at when I come out of it. And, um, and yeah, so the whole 2022, my days off was cancellations. And um, I was booked every day of that year. And, um, and, but, you know, cancellations are very frequent in this business. So sometimes you can even catch a rhythm of cancellations. So some months, like, you know, I would be off for two to three times of the week. And then I would have like a month run straight up just shooting two to three scenes a day. And um, by the end of the year, you know, I was just kind of like over it. Like my body was broken down, um, mentally warped and just kind of just like, all right, I just need to chill the fuck out. So for 2023, I was just like, you know, I'm going to just like, you know, chill out and um, I'm going to still work as much as I do. You know, I still take as much work as it comes to me. Um, I'm just not in a rush to just be shooting two to three times a day anymore. Not anymore, but just like as hard as I went last year and um, just kind of, taking a break here and there like I'm on a break right now and um even though I'm not I'm like working later tonight and then I work in the morning tomorrow but then I got like a few days off after that but I'm just kind of learning that it's cool to take a break and I'm gonna go and visit my family a little bit more this year and pay attention to like my personal side of the business because you know you got to nurture both sides that so is it was very just kind of like a social experiment that I did back in 2022 that like, all right, we're not going to do that again. <laughs> I believe that. Yeah, this whole, the psychoanalysis of Isaiah Maxwell is fascinating with these social experiments that you do on yourself. I, I, I love it. <laughs> I like it. It's also a little bit of, like, torturing yourself, but um, it's, it's, yeah, it's very it, it, interesting. It's an, it builds yeah, character. It's, it's mental, yeah, it's like mental exercises. Yeah. Now It helps when I'm all set. Well, okay, there you go. Now, two to three scenes a day, and you got to pop each time. And this is no diss to you, sir. Like, this is no diss to you, my friend. But you're in your 30s, you're not in your early 20s. So here's my question, especially because, I mean, I feel like, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like you're kind of known for your pop shots. Like, when Isaiah Maxwell lets loose, I mean, watch out. It is like a fountain. Like you're getting a whole, you're getting your daily dose, maybe even your week's um, dosage of protein with what Isaiah Maxwell shoots out. But two to three scenes a day, and doing the Isaiah Maxwell style pop shots. So it's about the recovery more than the actual process. Oh, all right, all right, I like so, it. Break it down. So yeah, I mean it's just. You know, you always gotta refill yourself up with something, and um, and in most cases, you know, out between every scene or anything that I do, um, there's always like a heavy protein diet involved. So, like, if I'm going to the gym, drinking a protein shake afterwards, or if I'm in between scenes, then I'll take a zinc pill and maybe some bee pollen with lunch, and um. And that and that kind of stuff just kind of help fluff up your um, your cum volume, not your, not your sperm count, but your, but actual cum volume. So you get more cum, not more sperm. If that makes any sense. All right, there you go. I appreciate <laughs> the breakdown. 
Now, let's talk about you being one of the few male performers that are on a quote-unquote safe-to-work list. Basically, you know, you are a male performer that, um, you know, I, mean, I guess I'm going to give you some more accolades, that, that is so damn professional, that's so good at what he does, that you really aren't on people's no lists, you know, for those out there that don't know about the no lists, those are where uh, talent end up creating lists of performers that they will not do scenes with. So, you know, websites and companies and directors cannot pair them with said individuals. You are basically a a male performer that's universally on the yes list for female talent. Right. Um, I think my biggest draw to um, most people that I work with is that I understand that we're in a business, right? And so what I mean by that is that I'm not here to try to, like, give unsolicited advice, uh, even though I do, and I do apologize for it at times because sometimes it's just my nature to be like, oh, we'll do this, and I'm like, oh, wait, you didn't ask for any advice, my bad. Like, you don't have to take it, don't listen, this is just from my perspective. But... In general, I'm I'm a very let us have our experience type of person, and then you could go home and like enjoy your life type of cat. And so, yeah, I'm never like involved into people's personal and just getting in their way of them growing or anything like that. I just I, I give advice when asked, and um, and I just let people be them. I, I don't snap judge anybody, and I'm very logical in terms of what I know is going on versus what could get people triggered. I like that, yes. I mean, clearly this this is a reason why you have had such an incredible career in the game, you know, throughout the, these 10 years. So props to you on that. And And something that you said earlier that I want to, I guess, pick your brain on, get you to expand a little bit more on, is the fact that you, as a veteran performer, you're coaching new talent. You know, you are taking some talent under your wing, you know, giving them some vital information that they need, you know, when you shoot with them very early on into their career. I also want to get into, are you doing that with some of the emerging male talent out there? Because I do remember there were some veterans at the time that you started that sort of took you under their wing and and basically now i mean it's it's crazy to say this just because you know i was there interviewing you when you started and now it's been 10 years so in my mind i'm like fuck my life it's been 10 years it's it's kind of daunting that (laughs) idea by itself but now you are there you're in that position you are the veteran male talent that is doing spectacular spectacularly well in the industry, like ridiculously well. Like I could lavish so much praise on you as I have been, I guess, already, Mm -hmm. Isaiah. But I mean, there's so much that could be said about you as a performer in this industry, the respect that you get in the industry, the amount of work, the consistency of the work, the types of studios and uh, top-tier talent that you're working with because you yourself are top-tier talent. So are there individuals that you now basically paying it forward that you kind of have taken under your wings, male performers and that kind of stuff that you've sort of been um, given that wonderful Isaiah Maxwell wisdom to? Yeah, I'm not a gatekeeper, so, like, I'm always open-minded to just, 
you know, spill. <laughs> I noticed when I talked to a bunch of, like, my male friends in the industry and stuff like that, and they talk to me about, like, our relationship, they say that I'm that sometimes I tell them stuff that um, you would think that I wouldn't because it's so deep. And I'm always, whenever someone tells me that, I'm always honestly like, man, I can't even think of what that might be because I'm such an open book that nothing that I'm saying is I would think is deep unless someone would be like, oh, wow, wow, you're willing to share that? I'm just kind of open like that. So when it comes to my advice, to the male talents, I'm, I'm always willing to tell them, like, what tripped me up in the beginning or, or what to beware of if, if it might trip you up or, like, just kind of how to navigate through the industry because, um, yeah, you need a mentor or, or at least just someone to give you a little guidance when you come into business because we're not reinventing the wheel and everybody that comes in is able to do this. It's enough for everybody. There's always going to be the hot new guy that comes onto the scene. And um, I always believe that there should be more options for everybody to, like, do work on because with more options, we're just able to create more. But in general, yeah, I think that I'm around to help whoever really needs it. I'm I'm here to people. My number is (laughs) – people have my number and text me, and when they do, I reply. So it's just, um, yeah, it's a, it's a respect thing that I received from back in the days when the OGs would mentor me, and that's just my way of how I do it, pay it for it. I love that, man. Very awesome. That That's so, that's cool. I, I love people that pay it forward. I tried to do that myself. When I started uh, first blogging and then podcasting, there were people that helped me because I had no idea what the fuck I was doing. And, and especially transferring, or, or I should say uh, transitioning from blogging to podcasting, I had no idea what the fuck. You know, I didn't know what to do. And, and I had people that helped. And so whenever I have had, you know, people that have been supportive of me and have been listeners and that kind of stuff that have asked questions about either blogging or podcasting, I mean, I try to give as much information as I can. Um, you know, I'm grateful to everybody that's made what I've been doing successful. So I definitely want the next person to be successful as well. Yeah. I and, tell the new mm-hmm. male talents, um, whenever they're getting advice, I'm like, just listen. I was like, you know, I, I took maybe 2% of the advice that was given to me in the industry, but I was given a lot of advice, but I'm only listening and taking advice from 2% because it fit my style and mode of what I do. But I listened to the whole 100% of the advice that I received because just this, like, little truth and tidbits that be in people's um, dialogue that you wouldn't even think of, and it's just a different perspective. And it's just a great way to look at something from a different side of the business and just let people talk to you. Because, you know, you might hear something that you might be like, oh, that slither does actually work. Or like, oh, I see what you was trying to say there. And it may change your course and become better for you in the long run. Absolutely. So, yeah, just listen. I think the best advice that you could probably give, and you said it earlier, and I don't know if you would agree that this would this is the best advice, but in my mind, I'm thinking of, like, everything that you have just said throughout this podcast, this interview – I think the thing that stands out is surround yourself with the right people. Like you want to surround yourself with the most supportive people that got your back and that you support 100% as well. You know, you have to weed out the haters and you have to weed out 
the individuals that are just consistently competing with you in a way that, you know, isn't, you know, healthy competition, but is like in a way where they're haters. You have to, you have to remove the negative energy from your orbit. Yeah, man. It's just like, what are you and your circle doing? And so like some circles, you know, they gossip all the time and, you know, kills, kills dead air and kills time for you. Some circles, they want to grow and they'll talk to you about business moves and just depends on what you want to do. You know, it's like with your circle of friends, it'll, it can make or break you. You know, you got to be mindful of the lingo you talk in and the representation that you're putting yourself out with your circle of friends and got to make sure that it's what you really want to do. And, and if not, then surround yourself with like-minded people. It's kind of like when people ask me, oh, can you do something in the industry that will work, like, say, be in a relationship? I'm like, yeah. I'm like, you know, I've seen all different past work and stuff like that. You know, I've seen married couple in the industry hang out with other married couples because it makes sense for that circle to be like-minded people instead of hanging around with the single male talent that are trying to have sex with everybody that they can, and it will disrupt what they got going on at home. So your circle really makes up for your whole experience how you want to do things. I didn't have this as a prepared question for you, but I'm just now thinking about it as a great follow-up to what we're just discussing. Because it's mm-hmm. almost like a full circle moment. When I interviewed you, in my mind, like in the back of my mind, I was like, this dude has got it. Like this dude is going to be the next big thing. His star is going to rise tremendously. And it has. So I want to pick your brain. Who do you think is the next big thing. Not necessarily maybe one person, but who is a new male talent that's in the game that you feel is going to have a good amount of longevity in the business? Um, I would probably say at the moment, Hollywood Cash got a really nice buzz going, and um, he, he got a really nice head on his shoulders. And... Um, you know, I've been enjoying our conversations and everything like that. In terms of potential that I see, like, that start young and will, like, have a career and only be in their 30s by the time, like, 10 years come around, um, that new kid, um, Damien, I want to say Slater, maybe his last name is Slater, but I know I shot one of his first scenes with, like, Dog Fart. And, like, he was a new kid, and and he was just, like, he he was mature for his age and everything like that. And um, he's from Chicago. Are you talking about Damien Daysky? Yeah, Daysky, that's his name. Is it Daysky or Daysky? I have no idea how to pronounce it. Sorry, Damien. I I I haven't interviewed yet. I haven't interviewed you yet, so (laughs) I don't know how to pronounce it. Yeah, I think it's Daysky. But, yeah, man, he has has the potential to... uh, really be a big name like he got the size he's young i think he's only like 19 or 20 and um really? and so yeah so like you know when 10 years come down the line and and you know you think that you got all of this energy to have sex with in your 20s right um it's 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 not like that you got a lot of energy to just do a bunch of shit in your 20s so you just like all right cool you want me to meet you in this city i'm down i'm on my way it's like, all right, cool. You want to go to this party? Yeah, let's go there. Um, in your 30s, you kind of like more of like, oh, I don't feel like doing all of that. But your sexual prime is like at its peak. So you can have sex 
a lot of times, but you're just not trying to move around as much. So, so like, yeah, once he gets to around the 30s ages and stuff like that and, like, he pinpoints exactly what he wants to do, it's just like he'd be able to take over. Very nice. All right, listeners, you heard it here first. Who to keep your eyes on in this industry, according to Isaiah Maxwell. Very nice. Yeah, I think think Hollywood Cash is, like, the guy at the moment of, like, really killing everything that he's been and, um, you know, and he, you got a re- good recovery and, um, and you know, he just he got personality. There you go. He, he's a guy with personality. Very nice. Hopefully I'll be able to do an interview with him soon. I'm just saying. I haven't interviewed him yet. We've been in discussions. But, um, yeah, hopefully we can make it happen because he really is a fresh face in the game. I, I don't know how long he's been in it, but I feel like it, it's definitely like maybe six to eight months. I don't think it, he's been in the game a year, and he has been getting a lot of work. So props to him for getting his hustle on in this industry. So oh, I guess yeah. to, to sort of veer into some of the more serious issues in the industry, I want to talk to you about representation in the business. As a black man in the industry, what's your take on how the industry has been receptive to other black men and just BIPOC performers in general since the time that you've been in the game? Um, I feel like there's a lot more black male talents in the business today that are just kind of like around again because of platforms able for us to just kind of have more longevity. But, um, but yeah, I just seen kind of, I see more black male talents enter the business and stay in the business. Um, but, yeah, man, that's, that's kind of just my perspective on it. What was the other part of your question? I just want to get your take on just the industry and its relationship with black performers. Okay. Not just black performers, but just like BIPOC performers in general, performers of color in the time that you've been in the game? Have you seen an evolution to it? Um, I want to ask you about something else, but I I don't want to ask it yet because I want to get your answer to this first before we move into uh, what happened sort of like in 2020 with the industry. Okay. Um, So I would say when it comes to, like, the black performers or this BIPIC, I would say black male performers, there's always a job for them because – interracial black on white that interracial sells the most out of all interracials so that's the reason why most companies shoot it because they want to shoot with sales and um and so like if you're good at your job you will always have work there's always sites that are coming out that are new interracial sites and new ways of doing it pov versus non-pov or vr and like just all type of genres that okay now we can have an interracial line and that'll work so Male performers on the black side, if you got size and a personality, you'll find your niche. Um, when it comes to the black females performers, you know, unfortunately, every time I talk to these directors, they always tell me black on black porn just don't perform well. And that's, you know, they won't say it out loud or online because they'll get crucified. But, you know, they say that they just don't get the support um, from from stands enough for them to want to create their own studio sites to do it. And whether that's true or not, I don't necessarily think so. I think if anybody does justice, then it'll turn out well. But that's 
that's the pushback I get from why aren't we doing it more. And, um, and yeah, I always push to work with black females more and um, stuff like that, but they say, you know, our audience is a certain way and they, they're looking for a certain look. So I do understand that it could be harder and that, um, honestly, the most efficient way I've been seeing performers of color just working with each other is just um, them bringing themselves up together. Like when I, when one get in a position of power, say like Anna Fox, you know, she'll start hiring other people of color to um, to blast on their platform like a Playboy and just get them working the recognition that, you know, they're looking for. But, yeah, you know, I, I agree with a lot of the female performers if they're saying that it's difficult because a lot of companies aren't taking those chances. But on the male side of the business, if your head is on right and, like, you know, you got your stuff together, um, just work in general, I'm not saying, like, the work that, should be done. I'm just saying work in general, there will always be work because that's the type of niche that sells really well. I don't buy the argument about why Ebony Erotica is not being made. I, I don't, I feel like a lot of that um, is, not to call the people that are saying it racist, but I feel like there is, there's a microaggression in there um, because I, I just don't buy that it wouldn't sell well, or I also have heard the excuse that it gets pirated a lot. All of porn gets pirated. I mean, let's just be honest. Mm -hmm. The entire industry is is getting pirated, and uh, the tube sites now exist because of the industry. You know, a lot of the major companies own the tube sites now. So, you know, they fully understand how the industry is getting pirated, and Ebony Erotica being made will not make the industry more pirated or less. It, it will not get more pirated or less pirated than other stuff because everything is getting pirated. So that argument is moronic, in my opinion. If there are currently high-end websites and studios that film interracial porn, which per the industry, interracial porn is considered a black man and a white woman. If there are studios that do that, I don't understand why there can't be a studio out there that makes high-end, elevated ebony erotica. It makes no sense to me. There were companies back in the Dizay when DVDs ruled that sold that kind of content, and it did well. I mean, shout out to Video Team, Afrocentric, um, West Coast Productions, uh, et cetera, et cetera. There were companies that did that. Like, I don't understand why a studio out there hasn't done it. You know, Blacked showed, I mean, whether whether you approve of the name or not, for those out there listening, but the the website exists. Blacked has shown that they can do high-end, expensive-looking interracial porn, and that will sell. So why isn't somebody out there doing it? Why isn't there an Isaiah Maxwell Productions doing it? I'm just saying, not to put the burden on you, because I'm not trying to do that. But uh, I'm just wondering, why isn't there a production company out there attempting to do it and seeing that it's going to be successful? Because there is a craving and a yearning from a a buying base, a consumer base that wants it. Right. There's a vacuum um, right now. Like nobody's really doing so, it outside of what you just said. There are some websites that will do it once in a while, 
and uh, clearly the content yeah. creators. I mean, the, the the burden is on the content creators to make it happen, and they're I, doing it. I I just I just you know, it's it's a lot of consistency issues involved in that. So, um, you you look at sites like Black, right, and you got these years worth of interracial sites and you see all of these hundreds of scenes and everything like that. And say if blacks started their site at the same time, they started a black on black site and it was the, and, and they try to turn out as much work as they did on the black side. I just don't think that there would be as many black female talent as there are of the abundance of the, um, white talent that is there not saying not saying that there aren't black female talents out there that are willing to work you just got to look at the black side of, of like the girls that they shoot and then think about all of the girls that they're not shooting there's so many girls that want to work for black because of the high-end look but they have a specific look that they go for to make it look the certain look that it is now if they were to do that on the black on black side and they wanted to create a look of all right we want to have our ebony models look this way for our site to look this type of end then it would be hard for them to like get a consistent roster of fresh faces to keep everybody interested in a new site because everybody just want to see that new next girl that new next release and yeah they could shoot the girls that perform really well on it a few times but it would become so much of a problem of, all right, is it going to still happen? Are we going to find new talent and stuff like that? And, you know, they just now going to put the resources into doing that like that. And, um, and, and so it's just kind of hard to like figure out the consistency of like keeping a site that's available because yeah, there's also people that want to come out and do these sites and everything. But, when you say in high end and stuff like that, everybody wants to compare it to black. And I think that's unfair because these new companies that want to do high end stuff, they just don't have the money that black could put towards a project. I mean, black put 50 to a hundred thousand on some things. And for people to want to come out and start a, a site like that for people of color, it would just be so hard to see the return back on that. No, I feel you. No, no, okay. Not, not to interrupt. And I'm, and I'm not, and I'm not arguing with mm-hmm. you on that. I'm just giving you the scenario of the hypothetical of, of like trying to start it up. No, and, I feel you. But I think for me is, I mean, yes, I think the eventual goal would be to have a high-end ebony erotica site. But right now, we just need the site. Like we need a site out there. And, and yes, it, it is. It's very difficult to compare to like the 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 mega corporation right. that is you know black vixen up black and i'm like well yeah. y'all want to compare to those type of companies the black the the gamma tushy the, the vixen Mikey. i mean it's all it's all yeah, the same i'm like that's, that's unfair to a new company that's trying to start because they won't see the return of that in the beginning no i feel you on that you but know? i'm just saying i think the eventual goal is to have a high-end in my mind at least it's, it's to have high-end ebony erotica but right now I mean, Ebony Erotica just needs the foot in the door. You know what I'm saying? Like, there needs to be a website out there that yeah, or a production company. Pinkies, and I think that, you know, we just got to support the sites that are out there more. And now, I mean, people are. It's, it's just that, um, yeah, these are the pushbacks that I get when I'm trying to deal stuff like this and trying to move the needle. But, you know, and I see people that 
come out and make press releases of like I'm gonna start the next people of color site, and then once the site comes out, you, you see it's not like that. That is true, though. You know? Yeah, no, I feel you on that because <laughs> I listen. I've I have opinions about certain stuff that I I cannot do on a podcast. But um, uh, yeah, I'm thinking about them all in my head. But yes, you know there are there are individuals in the industry that strive to make diversity and representation matter in the game. But unfortunately, right. you know, they end up um, succumbing to um, to certain things. Is all I'll say. <laughs> so, which yeah, is unfortunate. I yeah, because I feel like yeah, if you're going go... to rep hard for your people, if you're going to rep hard for diversity, if you're going to rep hard for BIPOC representation, you need to rep hard, like no matter yeah. what. I'm yeah. just saying. Yeah, and I, no, I hear you. And then a couple months go by, and they revert to what they know works. So, yeah, <laughs> it's, I see it. Yeah, hashtag facts. All of that is true. <laughs> yeah. So let's talk about the year 2020 in the industry, because in the year 2020, you know, things globally, especially here in the U.S., you know, the the racial uh, reckoning that ended up happening, which I always feel weird talking about that, because, you know, if you are a non-white person, you, you kind of understand that racism was a thing in the U.S., that there's a thing called yeah. systemic racism, that there's ra- there are racial injustices and that kind of stuff. But in the year 2020... You know, I would say after George Floyd in particular, um, there was a bit of a racial reckoning, in air quotes, in in the United States, in particular in the entertainment industry, on the mainstream side of the entertainment industry. And on the mainstream side, a lot of diversity initiatives really started up and that sort of thing. And in the industry, well, I should say not in the industry, but in the adult industry, on, on the other side of the entertainment industry... There was a little bit of a racial reckoning type of situation as well, sort of. Mm-hmm. In my mind, and this is just me personally speaking, so if anybody's listening, this is what I'm saying. This is not what Isaiah Maxwell is saying. He will give his opinion in a moment. In my opinion, it was kind of interesting, in air quotes, what happened. Because the AVNs ended up basically removing all of like the interracial categories, and I was like, in my mind, I'm like, okay, so you want to diversify and 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 show um, that you are progressively minded and that sort of thing and, and inclusive, but you're removing all of these categories where BIPOC performers could win. So I didn't fully understand that, as opposed to maybe reevaluating uh, category titles. And, and maybe the standards in which performers actually earned those nominations, they just completely scrapped those categories. That was a weird choice to me. Um, I, right. I didn't fully understand that, and I still don't understand that, because that seemed like a very knee-jerk reaction to what was being asked for by black and brown performers in the industry. So I right. want to get your take on post-2020. What's your take on how the industry responded, basically much like the mainstream side of the entertainment industry responded to the Black Lives Matter movement and to sort of like the racial reckoning that happened that year? Um, You know, when it comes to 
just taking off the interracial category and everything. I just think that comes from, all right, what's the easiest route <laughs> to just please everybody without getting in any more trouble? Um, I find that the problem is that we are in the peak of triggered age right now. And, like, the media has not helped. Social media has not helped. And people feuding sides are not helping as well. And they're just kind of molding people of, like, this is how you're supposed to think when you see this. And, like, this word should make you feel like that. And, you know, I just think that, you know, we could find something wrong with everything we take a look at if we really wanted to deep dive into it. But, um, you know, I just don't, I think people just could sometimes be a little oversensitive to certain things and just kind of just like letting it be. Um, I always think somebody's going to find something wrong with it. And depending on that person and their followers, they could create an uproar or just kind of stand still. And so, yeah, I just think that people should just be more precise on what they want to feel or, or at least just kind of know who they are as a person because 2020 is was more of like the racial divide and, um, and just kind of everybody trying to choose their side. And like in the industry now in 2023, it's just kind of like the performer divide and like what side you should be on on that. And like, and, and I've always looked at this stuff as like, you know, we don't have to like put size to this and that. We just, <laughs> we just got to be aware. And, you know, you can't say the word woke anymore because that word just been taken and just been like trash. And so everybody like, <laughs> to me, I think woke is like another word for someone to just be like, you know, like that shit is like kind of like racist. Like, yeah, man, I don't fuck with that woke shit. I'm like, what do woke mean to you? Because y'all just be calling it anything. Nobody woke, knows so. the people that are complaining <laughs> about the term woke are the people, number one, who bastardized the term woke, but they don't even yeah. understand what the fuck it means. It means just to be socially well, conscious. It's It means yeah, to be, to like yeah. respect people and and to yeah, not say something that that could, uh, you know, demean them. That's really all it means. So, but yeah, they, they took that, I mean, it like before 2020, I would say around like 2016, 2017, that was peak wokeness. Um, it's like right around when Trump got into office. And so everybody was just kind of self-consciously aware of what's going on because they, you know, the re, kind of like the reply of um, having Obama in office, you kind of get the Trump situation. And then like, you know, Facts. at this time when Obama was in office, what was considered being conscious, being like who, like being aware of what's going on. And then after that, woke just got rebranded into what it is today and so now people are even scared to kind of be associated with the word because there's been so many meanings applicable to it now like you don't want to be associated with the wrong one or like someone could like villainize you by using that way but yeah it's just like you know people are using your emotions to clickbait themselves into likes and attention and like this attention driven era is just creating such a divide amongst us that it is hard to know what what kind of social program people are truly believing and about because you know it could be used to weaponize against you because most people move with their emotions
That's just trying true. to ramble along there, but yeah. No, 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 you're good. I, I appreciate the honesty, I appreciate the candor, and, and it really leads right into the next question, which has to deal with social media and the industry. Because along with sort of like the, um, you know, the, the Black Lives Matter movement and how that affected uh, entertainment and media in 2020, the Me Too movement affected the world as well. And that's led to major changes on the mainstream side of the entertainment industry. And some of that element has occurred in the adult side of the industry as well, where performers have had, you know, much more of uh, a voice in regards to, uh, you know, speaking their truths and outing uh, abusive people in the industry. And let me just say this first and foremost, the trash humans in the industry, whomever you are, male, female, trans, in between, whomever you are, if you are a trash person in the industry, you deserve to be called out. I feel like abusive people in the business need to be called out no matter who they are, and they need to be removed from the industry. But with all of this, there seems to be now a new culture in the industry that's cancel culture, call-out culture, where if you have the tiniest of problems with someone, you go on Twitter, you type it out, and you have your army of fans now against said person. And in my opinion, a lot of the times, not all of the times, but a lot of the times, it really is stupid miscommunication type of situations where if you would have talked it out, if you would have expressed yourself more, if they would have expressed themselves more, there would not have been an issue to discuss. So, you know, I completely am here for Anybody out there speaking their truth about an abusive person in the industry, what I personally don't care for is taking, you know, the tiniest of things and weaponizing that against a person. You know, if you feel like you were slighted in your pay, if you feel like, you know, uh, whatever, you know, someone canceled on you and all of a sudden you have to go on your social media and cancel them because they canceled a shoot. I don't know. Like, it it is um, mind-boggling to me how people are using social media almost as, you know, a burn book, you know, where they just want to trash other performers over the tiniest of things. Like, you should be using that energy when someone comes out and says someone was physically abusive or somebody sexually assaulted someone on set. Like, those types of abuses and abuses of powers should be called out. You know, if someone just canceled a shoot on you... You know, I don't feel like that needs to be called out and all of a sudden you're weaponizing your entire fandom against said person. And let's be honest, the person that gets their story out first wins. You know, I've seen performers losing, you know, shoots and that kind of stuff. And all of a sudden people are getting blocked, you know, because of what one person said. And it's them weaponizing the teeny tiniest of things. So I sort of went on my own little tirade on it, but I want to get your take <laughs> on that entire situation because I'm sure you have opinions about it. Yeah, I, I, I just think that we all just kind of need to get back to a time where we was able to um, 
disagree and continue. I think that now um, in today's time that the moment we disagree with somebody, we're, we automatically try to cut them out and be like, okay, they're not on our side and and we can't no longer be associated with. It kind of go back to the circle thing that I was saying earlier, but it's more to the extreme of like, okay, you're not like me in the same exact cloth, so we can't fuck with each other. And I just don't think that's appropriate. I think that we sh- we all have little disagreements on things here and there. Like, yeah, we all like some things on this topic, but we might not like it on this topic. And I don't think it should create a fuss if that's the case. But when people weaponize it the way that they do online when it comes to, like, the little slither information, just to get an uproar of people to, like, go against people, uh, it's, it's an issue. And, and, and in most cases, it comes with a bit of malice. And so, you know, I, I look at people's tweets on, like, certain situations, and it's just like, I don't care. I don't care if y'all um, take, like, y'all look at this. I just want to see the person go down. And it's like, okay, when you want to do something, I always try to ask myself, what is the purpose of me doing this? Like, what is the general purpose? Am I trying to protect the industry from this person, or am I just, trying to see this person have a miserable life and stuff like that. And so I remember one time um, a person that I highly respected and, like, very respectable in this industry, icon name, um, she was messing with me and this other guy. And, like, this other guy kind of got into some heavy drugs and, like, he was starting to cause a problem wherever he was going. And so I was like, oh, no. I should call my friend up and warn her about this guy because, you know, like he could, like she could call him over and he could fuck your shit up. And so, like, I'm starting to write this message out to her and, like, you know, like you got to be aware of this guy and, like, you know, and he's doing this type of, like, you got to, and then, like, mind you, this was maybe like seven, eight years ago, so this was like a long time ago, but I think I stopped halfway through the message and I asked myself, I'm like, why are you sending this to her? Like, did the guy ask you to send this? Like, who told you that you needed to talk to this person about what this guy got on on this business from something you, like, speculating on and then telling her? I'm like, are you trying to tell her to protect her or are you just trying to tell her because you don't want her to fuck with him anymore and you just want her to fuck with you only? And I kind of felt like this message was starting to become more selfish and it was starting to turn out that way of, like, maybe I'm just, like, feel like I'm a limit, like, as if she couldn't, like, decide for herself, because she was more mature than me at the time, and um, had way more experience, and so I'm like, oh, she knows what she's doing, I was like, I don't gotta warn her on that side of the business, that's just kind of antagonizing for no reason, so, for me, I just want other people to understand the true purpose of why they're doing it, of, like, are you, is this just for clicks, like, are you just mad at this person? Is it reactionary? Or are you truly trying to, like, protect the industry from, like, going on? Like, if you're hearing, like, oh, this guy is literally punching everybody that's coming on the set, then, yeah, yeah, people should speak out about that and, like, warn the industry and get it taken down. But, but yeah, if you're just having, like, a bad time on set with somebody because he smelled bad or, like, you know, you took a shower, like, you could warn your circle of friends and, like, stuff like that, but 
to try to kick him out the industry or like without even going to him and like telling them, just telling the person that like, hey, you should shower before, like giving them the chance to redeem themselves is like where I kind of find the conflict for me of like wanting to support or not support. I was like, did you offer this person the chance to redeem themselves to show you that they're not that type of person or are you just kind of just trying to villain, villainize them right, right, right away? All of that, yes. I, I like it. I appreciate, once again, the honesty and the candor, Isaiah Maxwell. Now, the other thing that I want to talk to you about, we, we I know that we already sort of talked about race, but we talked about race kind of like in general and, and uh, the industry and the industry's relationship with race. I want to get your take as a black man in the industry. Have you ever experienced any racism, colorism, discrimination, or microaggressions directed at you? Um... I mean, like the colorism stuff that I get, I I will get more interracial work over a light-skinned black guy versus me because I'm more dark-skinned. And fans prefer dark-skinned um, people in their interracial scenes. Like, they they want the contrast of the skin color. So the contrast of the skin color just makes for a higher sell, higher rating. And, um, you know, that's kind of the colorism stuff I deal with on that side. Uh, from the female side, you know, the girls will pick a light-skinned guy over a darker-skinned guy. Not saying that, you know, I, I work with hundreds of these girls. So, I'm like, any time I'm saying, like, a girl will pick me or pick a light-skinned guy over myself, is probably literally three cases out of the thousands of scenes that I've been in. And so, like, I don't ever want people, when they listen to what I'm saying, to think that this is, like, how everything works. I, when I'm saying one thing, it's probably literally just that one time that it happened. To sort of piggyback off of what you were just saying, I want to get your take on the flack that a lot of black male performers get in the industry from black women in the industry in regards to doing interracial porn and shooting with white women, because I've seen a lot of performers, a lot of black men in the industry posting on Twitter that, you know, they usually, you know, that there might be black women that don't want to work with them because they, it seems as if they shoot with a lot of white women, but maybe they didn't do their research and realize that they shoot with all different shades in the industry. So your take on being you know, a top-tier black man in the industry doing a lot of interracial work and the reaction that that might get from black women in the industry. Not just black women in the industry, but from the fans as well, because I feel like fans as well have, they sort of react a bit if they see a black male performer doing a lot of interracial work and not doing a lot of porn with black women. Like I know that you do, but sort of yeah. in general. No, I, I would I would say I get that a little bit of um, like just kind of no context of like okay, this must be his type, and versus like no, this is the reflection of the business, and um, and our industry has always been the reflection of the consumer values. And so, like, whenever we move a certain way, it's because that is what's going on in outside at the moment. So, like, in the era of step porn, that's what the searches was. In the era of interracial porn, black on white, 
And so when you're looking at the scenes of all the male performers and you, you look at, like, a guy like myself that shot 2,200 scenes and, like, seven to 800 of those scenes are with black performers. I wouldn't even say that. I would say, like, 500 or less are with black performers. When you spread all of my scene partners across the board, it's going to look like that's all I work with. It's just white people. But it's just like, yeah, with, without the context. But, I mean, when a performer is getting mad at that and in that situation, I, I just think that they don't understand the business as a whole. It's just like, you know, you, if you if you tell a black male performer to just like stop doing interracial work, that is literally probably going to be 80% of his income, if not 90%. So, um, in, in this industry as a black male performer is, that's kind of like, that's kind of what you're doing in this industry. You're coming into a business that, um, is catering to an interracial crowd. And so like, that's where majority of your work is going to be. And, yeah, you could stick to the specialized groups that shoot black-on-black porn. I try to pair myself with as many directors as I can that shoot those style of scenes. Um, but, um, you know, they don't shoot as much as the general studios that does. What's your take on the evolution of interracial porn in the industry? When, well, I wouldn't even say when you started, but I, when, like, I first started doing interviews with performers, like, sort of looking back with my 20, 23 mentality. I mean, it, it was very cringe. There was a lot of, a lot of usage of stereotypes. And some of the language was incredibly racially charged. I would say nowadays it, it's gotten a little bit better. Um, I don't feel like any of the studios nowadays, at least the major studios, would even attempt right. to do what some of the studios were doing back then. So as someone who's been in the game for a decade, what's your take on the evolution of interracial? Well, I think um, I think interracial has pretty much stayed the same in terms of what it is, but the values of who we are has changed, and so like that has changed in the scenes as well. Like you look at dog park scenes back in the day, yeah, you hear the N-word all throughout, but you look at dog park scenes within the last four to five years, you won't hear anybody say that word. Same studio, just different values now. Um, same goes for most of the studios that um, they're still shooting in a ratio. They just see that they could put a little bit more production value into it. I think black changed the game in terms of how we're looked at, in terms of you can make this look real pretty and it will sell because of that. And so you got a lot of studios that kind of copycat in terms of doing high, elegant interracial scenes and um, and just kind of putting that out. Um, you know, Black kind of changed that game, but in terms of, like, the other big studios, like the Brazzers and especially Pure Taboo, the Gamma Groups, um, I think you see just more stories just being shared and that it doesn't matter who the person is. It's just like they're going to put a race and they're not thinking interracial. They're just thinking scene. So you still got your interracial companies like your blacks and, um, and like your lines, like with new sensations, elegant angel that are looked at as interracial porn. But then the evolution that, 
comes with these other companies that wanted to get more involved with like Gamma and MindGeek, they just shoot scenes where they don't acknowledge the race, but it's still interracial, and because it's interracial, people are still going to be in tune to it, but that's not how they're looking at it. So, yeah, man, I think the playing field has just kind of expanded in terms of not trying to see color as much and trying not to acknowledge it, but um, but everybody still know that, okay, th- this is an interracial scene. It's, it's going to sell like one because it's just, you know, it is what it is. Let's talk about romance and the industry. A little bit of full disclosure for the listeners. I don't usually follow, you know, in regards to who's dating who in the industry. Like, that's not interesting to me. Like, unless you are out and about on social media posting pictures with your boo, or if you're married and that sort of thing and you're posting about it, like, I typically don't know who's dating who. Like, I I just don't follow that stuff because I'll be fully honest, it's, I'm not interested in it. <laughs> like, I'm not a gossip person. So I don't know if Isaiah Maxwell is single. I don't know if Isaiah Maxwell is in a relationship. I don't, I don't even know if Isaiah Maxwell is married. Like, you could be married for all I know. So I just want to get your take on romance and the industry, your take on being one of the top-tier men in the porn game and dating Okay. Um, well, first of all, I am single. <laughs> I, I remember uh, my cousin sent me an invitation to her wedding for, like, next month. And um, and I didn't see the message that she said, send it to my sisters. And so um, I think, like, I didn't notice it for, like, maybe a few weeks later. And I was like, oh, let me send this to my sisters. And I sent it to them. And they texted me back. They was like, boy, we thought this wedding was for you. And, um, and, and I thought about it and I was like, and I just text them back. I was like, you know, if I was to, um, have a girlfriend and everything, I think it was a baby shower. Maybe that was it. And that, and it was like, oh, we thought this was your baby. Yeah. I think it was a baby shower. And it was like, oh, we thought you was having a kid. And I was like, you know what? Knowing my personality, this is probably how I would announce it to you. I would just send y'all an invitation to my wedding or baby shower, and I would just expect y'all to come. Y'all probably wouldn't even know the history of it. So that's just because that's the kind of person I am. I don't like to rock the boat if it's not there. But but I'm, that was just me joking. But, yeah, I just – I date here and there, and, um, and, and if everything ever grow into something bigger, then that's what it is. But – you know, the dating pool is very hard. Everybody is kind of like inside their head and trying to figure out their emotions and how to be and, and what to do and like their their role in life or whatever their case may be. But yeah, um, dating in the industry has always been difficult for people that are trying to date. I think um, you have tears, kind of everything. You have people that want to date. You have people that want to be in a relationship. And then you have people that want to be married. And I think once two people are the same, kind of like recognize each other, they kind of swoop up on that. So you find people that like like to be in relationships, get in relationships quick. Um, you see people that like to date just kind of stay on the dating side. And and people that want to get married, you know, they, they kind of know what to look for, of like knowing who is, who is um, more of a commitment person versus someone who just kind of want to float around. I'm more graduating towards the relations side of the business now. In the beginning, I was more like the dating level. Like, let's just have fun. 
All right. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like I remember you saying something that's just of, and correct me if I'm wrong, because it could be another performer that said this, so I'm, I'm, I might be misremembering. But were you the one who said that in your scenes you fall in love with the performer during your scenes? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, probably, that's, that's probably something I'll say. I, okay. I definitely. Because, yeah, that's, I'm, I'm playing, like, the whole role of being into the person, like, making that person the number one person I'm into at that moment. So, yeah, oh, okay. I like the, the explanation uh, of why I you fall in love with them temporarily. Okay, yeah. good. Yeah, tempor- temporarily fall in love is, you know, come with a very powerful thing. And after you do that, <laughs> like, reality kind of set back in. Okay, like, good. Oh, yeah. You're like, oh, yeah. <laughs> All right. I like nice the context. <laughs> yes. Because yeah. <laughs> I just remember the quote, I fall in love with my scene partners, and I'm like, well, that might be a little difficult if you're deciding to head the relationship yeah. route now. Okay, good. My, my, my um, picture captions used to be wild back in the day. So right? <laughs> yeah, well, I you know. get in trouble with them a lot of times. <laughs> <laughs> I do believe that. I feel like yeah, some are popping up on my now. Some boyfriends. Yeah, I used to get calls from boyfriends. I used to get in trouble with girls that I was talking to. And yeah, I had to like kind of chill out on my cash as a bit. I don't know. I was just. It was mostly song lyrics, I think. And so sometimes, you know, I'll just switch up a word here or there. Oh, okay. You were living a dangerous life, I say, at Maxwell. For being so clean cut and like straightforward and, and professional, that was about the most danger you had. <laughs> I'm telling you, I'm yes. telling you, that's hard out here. <laughs> it is. Okay, so let's talk about competition in the industry. Competition amongst performers in the porn game. Now, I'm not necessarily saying are you competing with people and that sort of thing. I mean, you're an established veteran. You've been in the porn game for ten years. You know, you you do ridiculously well in this business. But I want to get your take on just competition in general, as well as do you feel, even if you're not competing with other people, do you feel people are competing with you? Do you feel like or have have you heard rumblings or have you seen people maybe, you know, facial expressions because you're getting all this work and people are maybe hate, hating on Isaiah Maxwell for getting the bajillion porn scenes that you do a year? I would say I had that feeling maybe two, three years ago when, like, I was getting opportunity after opportunity. But um, I think more now I'm just kind of, like, established in a rotation that for this, whenever they're doing a project, they're just like, okay, just grab Isaiah Maxwell and then let's see who else are we going to give a shot to. And, um, and so, like, they'll grab their couple of established performers or they'll deal with their contract stars, and then they'll go down the line of, like, who's getting the opportunities. And when you're starting in the industry um, and you're a male performer, what kind of ticks you off every now and then is, like, seeing somebody that is, you know, you work with and that you're, like, growing up in the industry getting some opportunities that, okay, you see the established people getting it, so that makes sense, but it's like, why is this person getting that opportunity and they didn't call me? And so, like, I think I'm out of that phase of the industry of, like, the performers that are, like, seeing, like, 
that stuff happening to them. And that's like the real competitive phase of like when you're on set with that person, they're trying to outfuck you and stuff like that versus getting on set with me. And, and it's like, all right, look, this is what we're going to do. Like the only person I could equate that to was like when I used to get on set with Prince, it was like, he was, he's the established guy. It was nothing I could do with that. But he, he would tell me instead of like, you know, like, all right, like this is how the set, the scene is going to move so we could all just go home on time. And when you got like two performers that are competing for a spot, they're trying to compete to show you who's the stronger performer. And like, you know, the scene could either um, suffer or or be good because of it. Just depends on the performer. But I, I'm out of that kind of competitive zone with a lot of the new and upcoming performers. Um, but, you know, I'm always replaceable. And um, that's why I'm just grateful because because I was, it, all it takes is just one bad week. You always kind of remember as your last scene anyway, so you just got to always remain humble. I still got to show up on time. That is true. But good grief, man. You are the established dude now. That's awesome. Like how you saw Prince. Like you are that dude now. <laughs> yeah. Like, a lot of the established guys when I got into business are no longer performing. So, like, the Shawn Michaels, the, um, like, the Regal Strones, and even Prince Joshua, he's more Vegas now. I kind of took a step back from the L.A. scene, but he comes out here every now and then. But And, um, like, the Flash Browns, the Jason Browns, and stuff like that, they're all, they're all gone. The Charlie Max, like, those are all my OGs. And, um... And they kind of either took a major step back from, like, the main rotation or just kind of, like, doing their own thing. Mm-hmm. You know, even Wesley even Wesley Pipes and all of them. Like, the guys, the, yeah. the pioneers or the guys I used to like the N-words on set, you know, they're gone. So now that those guys are gone, they they're, they no longer need to have those type of scenes because you don't have the guys that are, like, willing to do Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, that's true. Are there any misconceptions or myths about porn stars that you would like to dispel? Uh, I mean, this is, I think all, I think we all heard the same myths before, you know, performers are having sex all 24 hours of the day. And um, uh, I would probably say one of the misconceptions about porn stars is that we're social butterflies. And um, like, you know, because we're able to expose ourselves on camera, we could probably just go anywhere and steal a scene or just be willing to just, like, get naked to wherever we go and stuff like that. And I think that um, that's a big misconception. It's like a lot of these girls and guys are very shy. You would have to approach them in order for them to talk back to you, and um, you kind of got to pry them to get to know them a little bit better. And... Um, and, yeah, and, and, you know, just a little shy people that are freaky on camera. Is there an aspect of the industry that you do not enjoy? Um, the, I would just say the constant ranking. Like, you know, of like, it, I feel like there's always just, like, little ranks of, like, okay, like, who is the top of this? charts of like who's the top of this list and like you know what list should this be and like this person it's just a lot of lists out right now and like you know everybody's just kind of vibing off of like 
the popularity of who's on the top of the list. Now let's shift away from the serious stuff and let's refocus back to everything Isaiah Maxwell. We talked about it earlier, but um, I definitely need a bit more of a breakdown for the listeners. What do you do to prepare for a scene in regards to, you know, knowing that you have to pop? Let's talk about the money shots. What do you do to prepare for the money shot to make sure Isaiah Maxwell's elixir pops for the camera? Um, it's, it's kind of just focusing in tunnel vision. And um, I would just say that um, porn sex isn't like regular sex. So, yeah, when you're having regular sex and it feels good, you probably can't control yourself and you just pop. But in porn sex, you know, you could distract yourself by what's around you. So, like, for me, if I just kind of make myself aware of what I'm doing, like saying, like, oh, there's actually another person here in the room with me, it would kind of soften my dick up to the point where it won't pop or it won't be sensitive enough to pop. But when it's time to pop, then I just kind of get into um, what I call, like, realistic mode of, like, all right, I'm going to have sex how I will have sex in my personal life, and, uh, and I can pop fairly quickly in that because, you know, I'm not trying to hold back my cum shot and, and I'm just, like, going with the feeling of it feels good for me focus on that feeling good part and, and it's like pop. If you see my dick is hard, then it's ready to pop basically. Was it difficult for you to develop that cum control? In the beginning, yes. I think that's just part of being young. You know, um, they say um, before 25, you fuck for yourself and then after 25, you fuck for the person. And so that's just kind of figuring out your body and like, um, and just kind of, like, feeling out, like, okay, if I do it like this, this is going to make me feel good. Okay, if I'm laying on my back, I come faster. Like, okay, doggy style is my favorite position because I'm standing up. My lungs are getting enough air. I'm able to control my breathing and blah, blah, blah. So it's just kind of figuring out yourself as you go through your journey. You know, in 10 more years, I will have a different answer for this era of my age, that age group that I'm in. Let me sure I write yeah, that down so that when we do an interview in 10 years. <laughs> yeah, I think like in your 20s, man, you just got time to just kind of like figure shit out and just kind of, I mean, you know, even when you're young, just figuring it out. This is a fun question. You've been in the game for 10 years. You have an immense group of fans that love and adore everything Isaiah, everything Maxwell. Do you get recognized in public? Have you ever had an interesting fan interaction, or do you usually get, as opposed to people coming up to you, do you usually get, like, the eyes where people look at you and they're right. like, I know you? Right. Um, I, I, I get recognized a lot more now today than I did back then, for sure. Like, um, in California, it's a little bit held backish. Like, people know who I am, but, you know, they don't really like to say where they know me from or, you know, or I look familiar to a lot of people here in California. Um, but sometimes when I go to the gym, people come up to me and say, hey, I'm a big fan. Can I take a picture? And um, and they're real low-key about it. They're not, like, blasting me out or anything like that. They're just like, I know who you are, and, like, I appreciate your work. Um Outside of that, like in California, it's just kind of like, hey, man, like you look very familiar. Do I know you from somewhere? And I just usually say, yeah, you're probably online a lot because they're normally with, like, their wives and kids or, like, in a situation where I'm, like, not trying to blow up their spot. But um, I would say the place that I 
recognize by name is more on the east side. So whenever I'm home in Cleveland or the one time that I went out to New York, when I went out to New York, I, I, that was the first time I ever felt famous when, like, people kept coming up to me and saying, like, oh, Isaiah Maxwell, and, like, I was walking up Times Square, and a lot of street performers came up to me and, like, said my full name and, like, you know, pleasure to meet you. I didn't know, like, I didn't know you would be out here on this side of town. And and so, like, that was a surreal situation because I was with a friend that was giving me a tour of New York, and she was like, uh, she was like, are you really that famous? And I was just like, nah, like, the people over here in New York are just a little bit more real with like them greeting you and like them like not being fake about it so yeah i I appreciate that from the new york crowd and my people's back in ohio and like you know they're a little bit more upfront about like hey man i know who you are now it's time to talk about your original content let's talk about the type of content that the listeners can expect to see on your OnlyFans. okay um, I shoot typically experiencing. So whenever I like book a content scene with a girl, I typically ask, "What do you want to do? How much of it do you want to do?" And um, and depending on her answer, I'll set up the day surrounding that. Um, surrounding that, and so. If a girl want to put a lot of production value in it, like go to the beach, like I just shot a scene with Stella Sedona, and we did like a six mile hike into a cave and just filmed in there, and we had CAD drones and we um, shot all of these different cool sites, and it was real fun. Got a lot of exercise out of it, but that was like a whole six hour journey of like, all right, we're gonna have to get up early at, like, 8, meet at the trail by, like, 8.30, 9 o'clock in Malibu, and then hike two and a half miles up and then two and a half miles back down and um, and then go home and I had to film another scene at night. So it was just, it was just like, that's an all-day type of thing. But in normal cases, some girls just, just want to have a good time, and it's like, you know, I just, I just want to, like, have a simple setup, like, you know, just I just want to go and, and fuck for, like, 20, 30 minutes. And I always tell the girls, I'm like, honestly, I just need, like, 15 minutes. It don't have to be that long. And I was like, it don't have to be 15 minutes of sex. I was like, I just, like, want to give the fans a little bit of time to jack off to something. And so um, with that, and then I also tell them, I was like, but I can't go as long as you want to. Like, when girls, like, don't get the chance to work with me and like to get the day and they're like, all right, I finally caught you on a day that you have some free time, shoot some content. I don't want to just shoot 15 minutes and then you go home and like I flew all the way into town for this. So yeah, we'll go for like an hour, an hour and a half and stuff. Cause that's what she was in town to do was to have sex. So it's not like she just came in and just like have a quickie, but it just depends on what the model wants to do. And, um, you know, and I cover pretty much everything that, um, she can't because I know that I'm probably more established than the girl that I'm working with. And the girls that are more established or doing way better than I do, they tend to offer to help or, like, tend to cover some of the stuff and I could vibe off of them or, like, you know, they'll get the hotel room, I get the hotel room next time. It's just all case by case with me. How often do you release new content? How often do you update your OnlyFans? I updated 
two times a week. So I, I shoot numerous scenes, and, um, and I give them two updates a week. I always got something in the tank. Um, I give little updates of how I'm doing on my personal side so that you learn a little bit more about me, a little bit of vulnerability. But, um, yeah, I just with two pretty much new girls each week. And then, like, I always revisit my face, but it's always in a different setting. Very nice. And it's all hardcore content, no solo content? Uh, very rarely solo content. I, I'll shoot a solo, like, around my birthday every now and then. Or, But um, solo content is very hard for me to shoot. It's just something that I'm just not truly get into. Um, but... It's just hard because I try to save my pop shot for when I really need it. <laughs> and that's how I keep it stored up. It's just like, you know, I try to not, like, just check it off. Well, there you go. You got to save the fountain. I'm just saying. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Is there any type of content or scenarios that you currently aren't shooting for your OnlyFans that you plan on adding in the future? Is there anything that you're wanting to try content-wise, that you aren't currently doing? Mm, to be honest, I can, nothing that's on the horizon, and I don't really want to force an answer. To me. It would sound really fake if I did. Okay. So. <laughs> I respect that. No, I respect that. I, I completely do. Now, my question for you is, because a lot of performers out there, they are using OnlyFans and many vids, clips for sale, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, just for fans, I think is another one. They're using those services to release their original content. And uh, they aren't doing what I feel every performer should have, and that is have an official website, you know, a website that they can call their own and that sort of thing. Do you ever plan right. on having either an official website or, you know, let me make it even, you know, bigger – I teased it before, but Isaiah Maxwell Productions, do you ever see yourself getting into that type of direction where you are, like, full-on producing your own content for your own product? You know, releasing your own product is basically what I'm trying to say. I mean, you are 10 years into the game. I would assume that you must have teeny tiny ideas in the back of your mind of how to increase your longevity and to increase the imprint of the Isaiah Maxwell name in the industry. Yeah, I, I, well, the way I use my money is I invest in stuff outside of the industry because um, my retirement plan of when I do decide to stop performing is that I shouldn't have to have tie downs that. If I wanted to leave the industry, I wanted to be able to leave the industry. You know, I I was, like, avoiding starting up different companies and production companies because I just didn't want to be stuck doing it in case if I wanted my escape route. And, like, you know, I think people that know me kind of figured me out in terms of once I decide something, I decide something. I'm very decisive. And once I once I decide it, I go for it. And so, like, if I decided to stop this industry, it don't matter how much my buzz was going on. It don't matter, like, how popular people are looking at me. My decision to stop would be my decision to stop, and I would just move on. I've been doing that since I was young. And um, and so, like, you know, all of my 
outside projects, if I was to stop right now, would keep me covered on bills until I find something that I wanted to do. And like, you know, I would always have a place to stay and stuff like that. Um, if I just needed to like say mentally get away, I just want to avoid having projects that would mentally keep me here. So, you know, I, I, I'm in a weird phase of like what to do now, but, um, I'm looking at all of my stuff, all of my projects that I started five years ago and that basically matured into what they are today. Um, I'm able to look and then kind of make some real kind of big decisions of which route I want to go down to. So, yeah, when people used to ask me in the beginning of, like, um, where should I start investing and this and this and that, and I was like, you know, I could talk to you about it, but my my, my story now is more on the mature side versus the planting seed side. I was like, you got to start planting your seeds early. So, like, five, ten years down the line, when your stuff matures, you could honestly start seeing where you need to go. Once again, I appreciate the honesty and the candor. No, all of it makes sense. Yeah, I completely understand your mindset. Okay, so coming up real soon, like you have a lot of work that's going to be released soon. I know that you have a feature with Digital Playground. Uh, you do a lot of work with uh, the with Balesa, and uh, you've got projects coming up with them. You are working a lot with uh, BBC Surprise, Brazzers, Blacked, She Loves Black, Elegant Angel. So what can the listeners, what should the listeners be focused on that's coming out soon for Isaiah Maxwell? Um, I did shoot a nice feature with Digital Playground with Kieran Noor being the lead actress in that. It's called Machine Gunner. So, um, so army film, war film, and it's a really cool film. Like the action scenes are really done well. It was a bunch of stunt guys. We had paramedics on set in case if anybody got hurt. We had to go get our permits and everything. So it was a lot of production value that really went into it. And it was a week-long set. So, you know, I got to get real close to the crew and get to know the stories a little bit more than just like going to set for the day and then coming home and trying to, and doing it again the next day on a different set. But yeah, that Machine Gunner film is coming out soon. I know they're going to drop a press release on it. And um, I can't wait to see the trailer. Um, you always see who is the new talents on the BBC surprise sites because they're always shooting fresh faces. Girls that shot less than two, three scenes in the business. And um, uh, kudos to the fans that recognize me a lot from that site because a lot of sites, you know, you think of browsers and black and pure taboo as like the top three in the industry, but fans recognize me a lot from the BBC surprise site. And, you know, that's where they for to find girls that aren't really established in the industry and like, okay, like these are going to be the girls. They look for like new faces on that site. As we start wrapping things up, I just want to ask what's next for you. What's next for Isaiah Maxwell? I know that we went into, some of the projects that are going to be dropping soon. But what else can the fans expect from you? We're about halfway through the year. What's coming up that the fans should get excited about? Um, I'm just always shooting new content. Um, I'm always in my messages of just kind of getting to know everybody better. So I'm just having the time to get to know my fans on the fan site. And, and yeah, I'm just, I'm always involved in different projects. <laughs> I, 
every time people ask me like what projects are like on the horizon for you, I always get caught up in like I start to go blank because um I kinda have a waiter mentality in this industry of like when I shoot my scenes kinda like a waiter when you come into a restaurant and sit down and want your order as a waiter like me, I will give you the best service. Um your food will come on time, everything will taste delicious. Um you will go home and you would have a whole positive experience from my service. But say you forgot your purse at your table and you come back and you say, hey, did you see my purse from that time that you took my order? I will probably look at you and couldn't recollect right then and there who you were because I already, that's been five different orders ago. And that's kind of like how I am in this industry. I'm like, I just come to these sets and I just give my best performance and um, and I move on to the next and I do the same thing for that. And then when they always ask me, like, what did you shoot two days ago? I'm like, oh, man, I can't even recollect that right now because my mentality is making sure the person that I'm in front of is having the best experience with me at that time. So it's kind of a double-edged sword, honestly, in terms of, like, appreciating the work that I'm doing, appreciating the person that I'm with. But on the other end of that, everybody that I'm in front of is going to always get the best version of me. I feel you on that, and I can identify with a lot of that, because that's how I am with some of these interviews. You know, I have to, like, go through my list sometimes and remember some people that I've interviewed, because I've interviewed so many people. You know, certain people stand out, but for the most part, like, yeah, I, I sometimes have to just go through my list and be like, oh, yeah, I did interview that person. And, uh, and yeah, I'm, I'm sometimes exactly. surprised at the people that I've interviewed, which is even funnier. I'm like, oh, shit, I really actually did. That's awesome. All right. How can your fans reach you? How can they find you on the web, social media, your official links on how they can get your original content, all that kind of stuff, all of the goodies? Hook them up. Yes. Um, you can find all of my new content on OnlyFans.com slash Isaiah Maxwell. And you could communicate with me and just kind of see all of my updates on Twitter and Instagram, which my Twitter is Isaiah Maxwell and Instagram is Isaiah underscore Maxwell. Um, yeah, I always post on OnlyFans and Minivids, and you can find majority of my work there. And, yeah, these studios are still filming me quite frequently, so you can find me on all your favorite sites as well, the browsers, the Pure Taboos, the Blacks, and um, the She Loves Blacks and the BBC Surprises and, you know, the Elegance and all of the others. I love how you're just saying casually, you know, they shoot me quite frequently. Dude, <laughs> do you not know you are one of the top men in the industry? Good grief, man. I'm just saying. I'll say it for you so you don't have to say it. <laughs> and it's all love, man. I'm just, you know, I just, I just go until they don't um, like me anymore. But, no, it's, it's been real. It's been real lovely. Yes. All my team partners to make it easy for me. Very nice. Well, this does bring us to the end of our interview. Is there anything that you would like to say to your fans and supporters that are tuning in? Um, to my fans, I really appreciate y'all. Like, y'all are the reason I keep going and that, you know, I just feel like I'm not um, just halfway there at the point. And I've still got so much work to do. So I appreciate the support. Thank y'all for always keeping my spirits up and being patient with me, knowing that, you know, um, I let y'all in as quickly as I can. So thank y'all. And enjoy being you. Well, Isaiah, I certainly want to thank you so much for coming back and doing a brand new interview. 
Cheers to that, man. Thank you for having me on. I appreciate the opportunity. You're welcome. You have always been so incredibly kind, so incredibly supportive, and, and I'm incredibly appreciative to you for being that way. And, and definitely, the door is open for more. I already sort of discussed it with you uh, pre-hitting uh, the record button, but we can't wait another five years you know, before doing another <laughs> interview. So I yeah. hope another interview comes sooner rather than later. Absolutely, yes. Fantastic. Yes, you have an open invite. So, uh, yes. Thank you, sir. You're welcome, man. And listeners, I also want to thank you for tuning into One on One with Papi Chulo. Before we go, here's our announcer to remind you on how you can interact with us. Thank you for downloading One on One with Papi Chulo. Here are a few helpful reminders. For more information on One on One with Papi Chulo, visit poppychularadio.com slash after dark. Follow Poppy Chulo on Twitter at twitter.com slash Poppy Chulo one on one. That's at Poppy Chulo. The number one. The word on. And the number one. Like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Poppy Chulo Radio. Follow us on Twitter, twitter.com slash Poppy Chulo Radio. Do you have any questions, suggestions, comments, or concerns? Email us via contact at poppychularadio.com. Are you interested in joining the Poppy Chula Radio team as an on-air personality? Email talent at poppychularadio.com. Binge listen to your favorite Poppy Chula Radio programs by visiting poppychularadio.com slash archives. Back to you, Poppy Chulo. Thanks, announcer. And with that, Isaiah Maxwell and I would like to wish you and yours a wonderful night. Good night, listeners. All right, y'all. Y'all enjoy yourselves and good night. Thanks for listening to One-on-One with Poppy Chulo. To contact us with any of your questions, suggestions, comments, or concerns, email us at contact at poppychuloradio.com. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter by going to twitter.com slash poppychuloradio. And like us on Facebook by visiting facebook.com slash poppychuloradio. Be sure to listen again next week as we continue to showcase exclusive interviews with some of the adult industry's most popular male performers. This is Ben Patrick Johnson saying good night and have a wonderful week.